0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Welcome, Terminal fans. Welcome to the show, Shine Guy and QT with you as usual here on a Sunday afternoon. Hope everyone is still staying safe out there and getting out to your local independent pro wrestling shows wherever they may be near you. We want to send our well wishes out to former guest of the show Freya the Slayer out of Alaska. She suffered an injury while out on the road the other day. Uh, She'll be out for a while, but hopefully she'll heal up and be back very soon. But without any further ado, I want to welcome our guest today. We have with us a beloved member of the wrestling community. You have probably heard him on numerous podcasts and probably have seen him popping up on the social media and in the newsletters. We have with us Jim Valley today, the king of recovery. Mr. Valley, thank you so much for being with us.
0: It's my pleasure. You know, I'm no Freya the Slayer, but I do what I can.
1: Not many of us are Freya the Slayer. She's quite good.
0: That's a great name. I love it.
1: Absolutely. Well, Mr. Valley, since today happens to be your first time on our show, I'm going to Start you out with our traditional first timer question. What led to you getting mixed up in this crazy professional wrestling industry?
0: Not a lot of parental supervision. That's what it was. My parents watched me closer Maybe I. Well, um, sort of. When, when I was young, when I was really young, my dad passed away when I was like eight. And uh, my stepdad was from Mexico, and he watched wrestling. So we would watch Portland wrestling every Saturday night, and then every couple of months, probably like like once a quarter, like three or four times a year, uh, the Portland wrestlers would come to a nearby high school, and so we'd always go see them wrestle. My, my first show I ever saw when I was little, uh, the main event had Andre the Giant, against Playboy Buddy Rose and Ed Wiskowski, who you might know better as Colonel De beers now. And then there was Jimmy Snuka and Jesse Ventura and then the uh, young guys on the card were like opening match guys were Skip Young and uh, Gino Hernandez. So just a ton of talent on that first show. It was ridiculous.
1: That is a star-studded lineup for your first live show. Alan, you were watching wrestling with your stepdad when you were very young. Did it enter your mind at that point that you eventually wanted to work in the industry? Or did that come much later in life for you?
0: I, no, I don't know that I ever thought to myself, I'm going to do something in wrestling. Um, I always understood that it was a very... Um, tight-knit fraternity, and I never saw myself being let in, so it was nothing that I ever pursued, and it just sort of worked out that way. It really wasn't um, anything that that I had ever, like I said, made a goal or anything. It just it just sort of happened that things kind of fell into place from time to time, so it just kind of worked out. Um, for example, when I was working in Portland, Oregon. I was working at a major radio station and um, I was producing shows and things. Didn't pay a lot of money, so I was working part-time across town at this really small AM station to make ends meet. And uh, one day, the board op who worked weekends on a Saturday called him sick, and so I had to go into the, the small station a small station had a wrestling show that was on the air. And this wrestling show, I'm just going to say it, they were terrible. And um, a caller called in and wanted to know where Austin 316 came from. This is like the year 2000, 1999, something like that. And, and I mean, Austin 316 was just a couple of years earlier. Every wrestling fan knew where that was except for these people on this radio show. So I just clicked the mic and got on and said where Austin 316 came from. And the owner of the radio station heard it and came in and goes, well, you sounded great. We need to make some changes. You're the new host of this show. I was like, okay, well, I'm the new host of this wrestling show. And so I kinda revamped the show and used my skills and it was the era of the wrestling book. it seemed like each week there was a new wrestler out promoting their book and so I got a ton of interviews with, you know, all the stars at the time. And so it really kinda turned that wrestling show around and got it a lot of attention and it was you know, it was a lot of fun. It was kind of baby for about two years before I moved to Seattle to
1: do A lot of fans that are familiar with you from the uh, newsletters and the podcasts and so forth, uh, they will know that in the last year or so, uh, you had some health issues and are on the way to recovery. And there was the very famous in wrestling circles King of Recovery T-shirt that a lot of people were picking up. Can you update the people that are listening and have been concerned on how your health is doing right now?
0: Yeah, it's doing okay. We're doing, we're doing all right. Um, for those who don't know, I've got a very rare autoimmune disease, and I was first uh, it was first discovered in 2012. I was coughing up blood. And I thought I had pneumonia. And it turned out that I had this rare autoimmune disease. It's originally called Wagner's vasculitis. And now it's called GPA with granulomatosis with polyanginitis. And what it basically means is inflammation of the veins. And like I said, it starts in the lungs, filled my lungs, with blood, and if you don't contain it soon enough, it spreads to the liver and the kidneys and the heart, and it uh, it uh, flowed up again in 2020, and this time we weren't able to catch it soon enough. It spread very quickly, and it did spread to my kidneys, caused kidney failure, and my heart caused heart failure. My, my kidneys, I said, that's, uh, my liver, it spread all over. So I had a lot of, uh, basically, a lot of organ failure. And good news is, is that uh, my heart is coming back. My lungs are coming back. Liver is fine. It's just the kidneys are kind of problem child. So I've got a dialysis board, and I just started dialysis a couple of weeks ago, but uh, We'll see how that goes, and then uh, I may be a candidate for a new kidney in about a year. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people kind of blew my mind. So many people bought the King of Recovery shirt. And the way that started was, you know, I was intubated for months of uh, 2020, and I don't remember a lot of it. But I was awake and alert, like in December. And in December, a nurse was looking at my medical records. She started laughing. I was like, well, what's so funny? And one of the doctors wrote in the chart, in the actual medical records, the official records. He wrote that he commented to me how impressed he was with my recovery. And apparently, I looked at him and I said, well, of course. I'm the effing king of recovery. And that's how it all started, that I gave myself my own catchphrase. I don't remember doing that, but it must be true if it's in the official medical.
1: Sometimes we say stuff in the hospital we have no memory of, but every other person around won't forget it. So I can definitely imagine that. Now, when the King of Recovery t-shirt came out, I know that was a very hot item. A lot of people uh, picked that up to try to help support you and everything. When you were able to kind of recognize what was going on with that and were aware of it, how impressed were you with exactly how well that shirt sold? Was it was
0: Initially, my idea, I think, I think um, Tony, uh, Brian Alvarez's brother-in-law, who kind of runs the website, Wrestling Observer and Figure 4 Online, I think he suggested it, and I was like, okay, I guess we can try it, but I didn't, you know, I, I was very dubious, I didn't think, I thought we could try it, but I didn't anticipate anything, and then one day, he tells me it's like the best-selling shirt on the Observer website. And also, I go and look at Pro Wrestling Tees, the best-sellers, and it was a best-selling shirt. It was so funny because I look through and there's Sting, and there's Kenny Omega, and there's Brody Lee, and there's all of these AEW shirts. And AEW is on national television. And then there's my shirt. It's like all AEW and then me. And I just thought that was the, the funniest thing that I could have a best-selling t-shirt at Pro Wrestling Tees. Cause, I mean, I just kind of saw myself as the second or third tier show on Wrestling Observer. I mean, I'm not Dave, I'm not Brian, not the Brian and Vinny show, or Granny. I'm just this guy. And blame me. I'm really happy to be on Wrestling Observer. Don't get me wrong. But I just was just amazed at the turnout by wrestling fans and subscribers to the Observer figure Four online. Totally blew me away. I'm so grateful that they came out and did that and bought hundreds of T-shirts. I was like, oh, my God, who would have guessed?
1: I think that proves what I said earlier when you are a beloved member of the wrestling community.
0: You're too kind. No. And we got three different designs. You know, people volunteered their own designs to do it. And again, I was just blown away that they did that. It was just so nice. So so fun.
1: Now last year of course, due to the world situation the cauliflower alley club did not hold its annual reunion but here in a couple of months uh, they will return and hold that reunion in las vegas i know the cac is something that you are a part of and are in good standing with can you give us your impressions of what the cac is like and why people should join that organization.
0: Like the Cauliflower Alley Club is a, a nonprofit. It's a 501c3. And what it does is it helps wrestlers or anybody who's been in the wrestling business who's down on their luck. So for example, Paul Orndorff, who just passed away, he uh, needed some help with his taxes on his house. And the CAC was able to step in and assist with that. Uh, Kamala, when he was alive, um, the CAC helped to purchase a lift for his van. They equipped on his van so his wheelchair could roll and get in and out of his van so he could obviously travel places, things like that. So Cauliflower Alley does these things. And again, it's a non-profit. I first discovered it years ago in the George Napolitano magazine. George would always take pictures, and you see pictures of Red Bass, pictures of Luthez and Mike Mazurki and, you know, Moolah and Mae Young and Penny Banner and all these great classic wrestlers. And it was also as tied, you know, it's pretty much just pro wrestling now, but it also had ties to boxing. So you'd see, like, Archie Moore and other famous classic boxers, too. They would attend. And also actors. You know, because of Mike Mazurki being a founding member, he was a, an actor in Hollywood. So Dan Haggerty, who was a big deal when I was a little kid, he was Grizzly Adams. You know, and he would show up to Cauliflower Out. So you'd have actors and boxers and wrestlers that would show up to uh, call a Cauliflower House. And now it's open to fans, and fans can participate. It's also a thing. Every year they meet in Las Vegas. They do banquets, and they honor people. Like this year they're honoring uh, Medusa Michelli, Alundra Blaze. They're honoring Brian Pillman Jr. They're honoring Rob Van Dam. And they're also honoring the legacy of Paul Ellering and the Road Warriors and many others. They're doing a few other people that escape me now off the top of my head. But they have two banquets. They do a a Bockwinkle baloney blowout where you have sandwiches and salads and chips and things where it's kind of reminiscent of the old wrestlers' baloney blowout. And then you have the official banquet on the other night. And uh, so you do two nights of honorees, and then they also have a learning series where you go there and you can learn about different aspects of wrestling. And you can also, you know, they'll do maybe something on a territory or a wrestler. Like I've hosted a number of seminars, one time with the gorgeous ladies of wrestling telling their story. Another time I hosted Dory Funk Jr. And it's just to have these legends tell their stories and things. You learn a lot there. And then there's also things about um, different learning series. You know, coming up, I'm going to host a seminar with um, a guy you may know from uh, AEW. He's also been on WWE TV, John Schuyler. And John Schuyler was, a couple of years ago, he did some country singing. He was Ricky Roberts. He did some stuff on Raw. And then he's also wrestled pretty consistently on Dark and on AEW. So he's one of these guys that looks good, he's got great gear. You know, he's always doing the right things. And I think it's going to be a good seminar as far as if you're a young wrestler, You know, John can help you what you need to do and how to get to that next level here in professional wrestling as far as knowing the right people, having the right gear, looking good, being in condition, and, you know, always being ready for that next opportunity when it happens. So I'm really happy to do this with Skyler because he's a really good guy. And, you know, I think he's just... Right there, knocking on the door of that next level in the wrestling business.
1: Last night, Impact Wrestling held their big show of the year, Slammiversary. They've been around for 19 years, but in the last couple of years, it seems like they have really turned a corner as far as popularity and acceptance from the wrestling fans. Uh, They have working agreements with AEW, the NWA, apparently now New Japan Pro Wrestling. They seem like they have dramatically changed in the last couple of years. What do you think of the current standing Impact Wrestling?
0: Real quick, I forgot to mention... Go to CauliflowerAlleyClub.org if you want to know more about Cauliflower Alley Club. Um, as far as Impact Wrestling goes, you know, they've got new ownership now, so a lot of these woes are not the fault of Anthem or whoever owns Impact Wrestling now. But, I mean, they're trying. I mean, and it's really hard because it's, so competitive right now. I mean, WWE, when AEW was making a move and Impact was still around, and, you know, WWE signed so many people to NXT and signed up so many people. You know, when AEW signed up people that, you know, talent was really hard to come And, you know... They're trying to do stuff with Moose and Sammy Callahan, and they tried to do things with Tessa, and they're trying to do things with, you know, Deanna Parrazzo now, and they're trying with some homegrown talent. And that's really what you have to do is create your own stars, but it's really hard right now. It's a very competitive business. But, I mean, they've got, you know, the 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 major figure guys in Matt Cardona and Brian Myers. And those guys have got their own fan base. And also, you know, Brian Myers has done an incredible job as a trainer with his creator wrestler wrestling school. I mean, they have turned out a vast array of talent. So I would expect that he's going to keep doing that and, Hey man, it's probably good to have him on board, Impact Wrestling, and hopefully open a pipeline to whoever you know. And that's what Impact needs to do. I mean, I think it makes sense to try to open some of the some of those doors. But here's the problem: is when you when yeah you do get people excited when Jay White walks out. And you do get people excited whenever, you know, Finn Juice shows up or, you know, whomever from AEW is going to show up in Las Vegas. But you're also telling fans that those are the big shows. And will fans not care when you don't have the forbidden door open, when you don't have those other, pieces of talent organization that's quote unquote just the people from Impact Wrestling Does that decrease and in interest you know you've got to be careful yeah you want to make waves and make news in the wrestling business but you also got to be careful that you're not sending out the message that the big stars are on the other shows and that's the time to watch Impact and not win it's your homegrown talent. You've got to make sure you're always investing in that homegrown talent and creating excitement around your impact stars. But, I mean, it's going to be hard. Um, one thing I thought was cool is that uh, Levy Valens, uh, No Way Jose, now, now just No Way, I guess, that he was on the show. Because I always thought, when I saw him on NXT, I always thought, he was a pretty good wrestler and did some cool stuff, but you know, obviously didn't wasn't booked very strongly at all in WWE. And, you know, I'm not saying he's, you know, a world champion or something, but he was a great opening match guy as far as creating excitement and he was fun. And, you know, I think you can do something with that guy. Um, As far as, you know, creating some fun excitement, maybe in the opening matches, or, you know, telling the story of how you can get him from being No Way Jose, or that dancing character, to a new character. But I mean, you gotta tell a story. I know that after he left WWE, he put something on his social where he straightened his hair, and was no longer the corporate puppet. But I think it's you can do something with it. Change his hair and maybe shave his beard or do whatever, but change his look up and but I think you've gotta tell a story with it and not just make it abrupt and have fans follow that story and accept him as a new character and not just suddenly boom he's something different. You've gotta you've gotta let fans digest that and go along and take him for the ride as opposed to just, you know, making it abrupt. I I don't think fans always accept that.
1: One of the things that wrestling is capable of doing is setting up a show pretty much anywhere. If there's, enough space for a ring, a promoter can put a show there. This time of year, a lot of promotions, especially on the independent level, use outdoor venues to hold shows. Uh, Those are very popular in the summer months, and I think especially here in 2021, they're going to be really popular with promoters and fans, so people can be spread out a little bit more still. But... In your own personal opinion, what do you think of outdoor venues as it relates to wrestling shows?
0: Yeah, when it's warm, why not? You know, I mean, I've seen like my friend Mike Mooneyham in the past. You know, he lives in Charleston, and he's posted stuff where they had a venue like in a beach area, like on the beach. I mean, why not? I mean, it's outdoors. It's summertime. That stuff could be fun. Uh, one time, I was watching a travel vlog for like a, like the Smoky Mountains and the, like like out in uh, the Dollywood area, out in Pigeon Forge, and they were having like, a, oh, it was a, I know what it was. It was a Bigfoot festival. Those people rip us off all the time. Seattle is home of Bigfoot. The Northwest is home of Bigfoot. A bunch of people ripping us off. Anyway, they even got their own fake space thing. Don't get me started. Anyway, they had a outdoor Bigfoot festival, and they had their local wrestling promotion out there, and they even had some guy, I assume some guy, dressed as Bigfoot, you know, wrestling in a battle royal. You know, that's pretty fun. Why not? I mean, wrestling can adapt and do stuff like that. You could have the mascot wrestle or do things like that to to adapt to wrestling or you could have at a fairgrounds and have the, the fairgrounds royalty introduce wrestlers. I remember one time I had just moved back to the Portland, Oregon area and uh, right across the Columbia River is Vancouver, Washington and they have the Clark County Fair. And we went to the Clark County Fair, and they had wrestling in the grandstand again, outdoor venue. And this was when uh, Playboy Buddy Rose was still alive. And they had the local news anchor from one of the TV stations come and manage one of the wrestlers, one of the baby face wrestlers. And he sat ringside, and one of the heels was going to use a folding chair, and uh, sure enough, the heel was right next to the ring ropes, and he put the folding chair, put a big swing over his head, and it went outside the ring ropes, and the news anchor was able to reach up and grab the folding chair and take the folding chair out of the dastardly heel's hands before he was able to do his damage to the baby face. I mean... That's great stuff, and something easy for the news anchor to do, where they don't have to get in the ring, where it's kind of bouncy, and maybe they could hurt themselves, and they could just reach up, grab the chair, and they're a hero to the fans. I mean, there's a lot of fun things that you could do in an outdoor venue, as far as, you know, trying to get into a, a local fair, or there's a lot of fun things with the weather outside that you can do that wrestling can do that you know maybe a real sport quote unquote can't do so yeah it's, it can be a lot of fun
1: well at this point in time my co-host QT Vokes is standing by and I know that he has some questions as well so I'm going to pass things over to him for a bit you, hey, QT Not QT, are you with us? Can you hear me? Oh, there you go. We got you... you now. Well, okay. I Did you hit you. the mute button? Okay. Uh, I think it well, may have I been.
2: Have... Uh, Mr. Valley, do you remember a Portland wrestler named Mega Maharishi? And if so, was this wrestler based upon the commune leader in 1974, in Antelope, Oregon, Ma Anad Sheila of the Maharishi cult. I don't think it was.
0: Were they there in the, the 70s? I know they were a big deal in the 80s, and they took over. Um, I can't remember the name of the town, but yeah, and they tried to tried to poison the mayor and the city council. Yeah, um, it was Edward Skowski again. He was famous as Colonel De Beers, and he wasn't just Mega Maharishi, he was Mega Maharishi, Ahmed, amen," which means, of course, which is kind of sly for saying, "I Ed, I met Wiskowski But yes, he was all dressed in red, like the uh, Rajnishis in Oregon, and uh, he would wrestle, and then he also managed a kendo Nagasaki when Kinto Nakastaki was briefly in Portland.
2: Yes, and uh, he had some seminal moments in the Crow's Nest. When being interviewed by Frank Bonema, he would sometimes uh, do an interview in those robes with Buddy Rose and try to steer uh, Buddy Rose on the path of the straight and narrow.
0: Well, I remember, um, you know, I mean, it was probably really smart to do as far as, I mean, those guys, they were in all the newspapers. I mean, it was a, they made national news as far as the cults go. Um, I don't know if they exist now or not. Think there might be a few of them. Who knows? Actually, gosh, they could probably do really well these days as far as, Recruiting with social media, I bet And um, I'm going to start my own cult You've, you've talked me into it um, Make some real okay. money For so the money is now a tax-free cult
2: Well, you know, um, yeah, on the show Married with Children Al Bundy started his own church So he wouldn't have to pay taxes Al Bundy, Al
0: Bundy was a genius And way ahead of his time a friend of mine and I were talking and he was a big X-Files fan and he was like yes the X-Files otherwise known as the show that put the Fox network on the map and I go oh I'm sorry you're confusing that with Married with Children and The Simpsons
2: Uh, yes Uh, a lot of creative talent came out of the Northwest including Matt Groening of The Simpsons Matt Groening.
0: Yeah. Yes. You know, Rusty Nails, the clown, Krusty the clown, um, a lot of the streets and things. Uh, Terwilliger, Sideshow Bob Terwilliger. Terwilliger is a major street in Oregon. There's a lot of things, uh, particularly in Portland, that are based on the Simpsons and, and growing up in the area.
2: Yeah, I even think was a kids program called Breakman Bill. With Crazy Donkey, the sock puppet. Yes.
0: Brakeman Bill was out of Seattle. Um, There was, um, crap, his name, uh, Ramblin' Rod, Ramblin' Rod was out of Portland. As a matter of fact, Brakeman Bill, I just heard a story that a friend of mine did who still works on the radio here in town. Brakeman Bill is still alive, and he's 94 years old, and for those who don't know, um, in the days, you know, starting in the 1950s as in 60s, when television was local out of your major television cities, um, you know, you'd have, you know, your local TV movie that the host would introduce, and you'd have your kids show, you'd have, you know, Bozo the Clown out of Chicago and different bozos who were around the country. And we didn't have bozo in Seattle. We had J.P. Patches on a local CBS affiliate, and then we had Brakeman Bill out of one of the independent channels, Channel 11, KSTW, that was actually out of Tacoma. And yet Brakeman Bill would wear a Brakeman Eng- train engineer's cap and like a kerchief around his neck, and he had a sock puppet, Crazy Donkey, and he would introduce the cartoons and do skits and things. And Yeah, Brakeman Bill is still alive, going strong. He and his wife still live in their home and garden and do everything at age 94. So there's something to be said about watching cartoons that give you a long lifespan.
2: Yes. Do you are, do you believe? Are there any truths to the rumors that a crazy donkey on the Breakman Bill show was the influence for the wrestler Mankind and his sock puppet Socko?
0: I would be surprised because you know Mick with Long Island, and you know, as, so I don't think he got Breakman Bill, but uh, God, you know. Mr. Socko, Mr. Socko would talk to other people, but wouldn't really talk to, uh, to mankind very much as far as interacting like a sock puppet. You know, he would talk to Mr. McMahon and things, but didn't talk, you know, have like long-term conversations like Crazy Donkey. Crazy Donkey, I guess, the sock puppets are on display here locally at a museum, the Museum of Arts and Industry, uh, Arts and, yeah, MOHAI, which is down along Lake Union in Seattle, which is a fantastic local museum and stuff. So definitely go check that out. It's not far from the Space Needle here in Seattle. Oh, okay. All right.
2: Well, Mr. Valley, who do you think would win in a Hell in a Cell if they could time travel, Brakeman Bill or Ramblin' Rod?
0: Oh, gosh. You know, I have more memories. We lived right in between Seattle and Portland, and Brakeman Bill got off the air, I think he said, in, like, early 70s. So, you know, I was, like, five or six. So I have vague memories of Brakeman Bill and Ramblin' Rod, Lasted to the mid 80s, so I have more memories of Ramblin' Rod, and my wife grew up in Portland, so she has more memories of Ramblin' Rod. And Ramblin' Rod would have like a, a riser set up of about you know four or five rows of kids that every day got to sit in the studio and watch cartoons with Ramblin' Rod, and they'd do a smile contest where they'd play music and the camera would swing by a tight shot on all the kids and you'd have to smile. And the winning smile would get a case of Pop Shop Cola, Pop Shot Pop, which was local pop at the time. And I think it was like, um, uh, what are those things called, those bubble machines where you fuse flavor with like um carbonate beverage and you make your own soda. I think you'd have to go to these pop shop stores and they would infuse it yourself. And um, they didn't last too long, but I remember pop shop pop. So you go to the pop shop and buy the pop. different Different flavors.
2: Oh, do you remember a uh, kid's show called Wanda Wanda?
0: That's before my time, but I am, uh, that's my mom, my uh, mother-in-law's generation. She grew up with Wanda Wanda and, um, God, what's her name?
2: Um, um, I'm not.
0: I can't think of the woman's. She was on. Uh, God, I can't think of her name. It'll come to me. Just give me a second. But there was also Yogi Orkuson and uh, Stan Borison, who did like I oh. just go nuts at Christmas. And again, this goes back to the 1950s and 60s of the era of local television. Marnie. Ah, uh, crap! What's her name? Marnie. Ah, uh, it's killing me. Um, wonder, wonder, and uh, oh God, it was uh, um, uh, Oh, it's killing. It'll come to me. Give me a minute.
2: Oh, okay. All right. Well, Romper Valley. Room. Oh yeah, room. romper room. Yes. room. Okay. Because there was also a kid's uh, show on TV called The New Zoo Review with Henrietta new Hippo.
0: Zoo. Yeah, sometimes there used to be a thing you'd say to people rather than say, what's new? You'd go, hey, what's New Zoo Review? Like, what's new with you? But kids don't say, don't know that show anymore. So you got to move on from those lines. God,
2: That's true. The-
0: yeah. I do remember. Was it? was on the news review. Marnie, how was her name? She was like a Broadway singer and did movies and stuff. Oh, yes. God, your mom went, no. Anyway, go ahead.
2: Oh, okay, well, uh, that brought back some memories, yes. Uh, okay.
1: Mr. Valley,
2: can you tell us how old you were when you first saw the Von Steiger brothers, Kurt and Carl? and the red iron cross on their boots in Portland
0: wrestling. Oh, gosh. Gosh, they were as far as my time in wrestling. So I was probably six or something when I saw them. You know, the Von Stigers, um, you know, back when I was a little kid, you know, the world titles rarely changed hands. and I so desperately wanted a world title to change hands in the Northwest to kind of validate us and our talent. And I never saw it because it predated me watching wrestling, but the Von Staggers won a version of the world title in Portland. So to me, the the Von Staggers were always super impressive because they were former world tag team champions. So they came to town and I started watching about the time They were wrapping up, and I think someone told me that Kurt Von Steiger is still alive. So he's got to be pushing 90 or something, too, as far as Uh, – He's got to be one of the oldest living wrestlers, too, right now. Um, But if you watch online on uh, YouTube, you can find that PBS movie on Dutch Savage. It's about a 20-minute documentary. That fans shot years ago at the Portland Sports Arena. And there's the Von Steigers who are in the ring. And, like, there are these old ladies yelling at the Von Steigers, calling them, you dirty kraut. And that's things that people said back then. The Von Steigers are like, oh, you know you love me. You know if you were younger, you'd want to take me home stuff like that and she's like oh you're gross you're disgusting which is really funny to watch so if you look up Dutch Savage movie PBS on YouTube you'll find that it's a great look at old wrestling fans and the 1970s like 1977-78 at the Portland Sports Arena a young Jesse Ventura is in it and Dutch Savage the Iron Sheik Bull Ramos and the Von Steigers, it's great footage. If you haven't seen it, it's pretty popular, but if you haven't seen it, it's it's worth watching.
2: Well, you know, you had your regulars in Portland wrestling back in the 70s, yeah. and they always seemed to occupy the front row seats. And in particular, there was a grandma-like figure who I saw every week on TV And there was one time where Buddy Rose was glaring at at her and he was threatening her and pointing at her. And she got up and shook her umbrella at Playboy Buddy Rose and Buddy Rose ran and hid behind uh, Sandy Barr.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that (laughs) is Irene. Irene, yes. Irene, she would make banana bread for the rest. And um, oh. I don't know if you could see it. Depending on the year, she would always wear a corsage to the matches. And then somebody, I don't know who, gave her a big uh, gold star sheriff's badge. Like she was the de facto referee outside of the ring. Like she was law enforcement that she would wear. So if it's her last few years... Ringside, you know, being a ringside rosy, you could see Irene wearing this big sheriff's badge on her on her blouse. But yeah, she was there for forever, right there, front row center on the camera side, so you could see her on the opposite side of the cameras. You could see her every Saturday. But yeah, uh, all all the regulars felt the the first. Several rows of ringside
2: seats. Yes, yes, they were they were pretty cheap back then. Pretty cheap for the entertainment they got. Yeah, like yes,
0: five, seven bucks. Yeah. And the well, sports your... arena, it was a converted bowling alley. I was uh, I yeah. went there a few times. It's a converted bowling alley, and oh my god, this thing was it was a piece of crap. I mean, it had low ceilings, a couple of times, like Dutch Savage, I think, took a backdrop, and Dutch Savage was a tall guy, like six two, six three. and I think a couple of times in his career he took, he was given like a backdrop and took the overhead lights out with the backdrop because the uh, you know, the, light, the ceilings were so... And, um, yeah, it's like you know the way when you go to a bowling alley, take like a step or two down to the alleys, and that's the way it was. You'd walk into the alley area by the snack bars and things, and that was still there where you could get concessions, and then you'd walk, you'd do a couple of steps down into the seating area where it was all ringside seats and then a couple of sets of bleachers, and it probably sat like 2,000. Maybe 3,000 people tops. But it was just this, basically, but I mean a converted bowling alley. Basically, they took out the lanes, and then that was about it. They pretty much stopped as far as construction. They, they put in, obviously, a little bit of conduit for the overhead ring lights, and that was about it as far as the, the diversion goes. They really didn't do much else to it. Pretty bare bones. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, you, could, you could tell. Even the Crow's Nest, uh, where Frank Bonama would do his interviews, you could tell that that had seen a few
0: years. Yeah, just a, some, some two-by-fours, some plywood yeah. stuff, yeah. But that's the way well, we m- like it.
2: Well, Mr. Valley, can you remember the seminal moment in Portland wrestling history when Playboy Buddy Rose turned
0: babyface? Yeah, you know, um, Buddy had uh come back. You know, Buddy ran the Northwest from about 77 to about 1982. In 82, he went to New York, WWF, and challenged Backlund for the title. And he had his about his six-month run. Like all the heels did, and Buddy did fine, and then he came back, and by that time, Rip Oliver was the number one heel. And Buddy Rose had his army. And when Buddy left, you know, Rip Oliver was the number two lieutenant, the number one lieutenant, I should say, the Buddy Rose Army. And when Buddy left, Rip Oliver became the leader of the Northwest Heel. And he had his clan, clan spelled with a C button. And uh, yeah. Buddy came into town and was like, start up the army again. Rip was like, no, nah, Buddy, you know, I'm a leader. You're a leader. You know, you're successful, but I've been successful too. And I just want to keep doing things my way. So you go your way. I'll go mine. We'll stay out of each other's business. We'll just leave it at And um, Rip Oliver needed a new member of his clan. Buddy needed to rebuild his army. And Buddy recruited Dynamite Kid. And Rip was like, oh, man, I was talking to Dynamite Kid. You outbid me by a little bit, but that's okay. You know, I'll find my guy. You got yours, and we'll just, you know, let bygones be bygones. So Buddy... And uh, we're challenging Billy Jack and Kurt Hennig in a non-title match. And uh, Buddy lost one of the falls, the first fall. And then the second fall happens. And uh, Dynamite Kid is going to be pinned. And Buddy comes off the top rope. And Kurt Hennig, I think, moves out of the way. And Buddy hits dynamite kid and dynamite kid gets pissed and starts beating up buddy rose and all of a sudden buddy starts waving in rip oliver and the assassin to come and help him beat up kurt hennig and all of a sudden um the buddy the assassin and rip oliver grab buddy rose and Dynamite Kid starts beating up on Buddy Rose and Dynamite Kid joins the clan. so he's a bad guy and joins Rip Oliver's Klan and fans don't really know what to think yet and they're not sure whether they should, the good guys aren't sure whether or not they trust Buddy or not either well, a couple of weeks go by and Buddy's trying to show everybody that he's a changed guy and Rip Oliver jumps Billy Jack and Kurt Hennig, and he's got them down, and he's gonna. I think he's gonna like do the Brian Pillman, Steve Austin thing with a chair on uh, Kurt Hennig, and Buddy comes out of them from out of nowhere and saves Kurt Hennig from being injured, and the fans just go crazy, and that's when you see all the fans jump in the ring and cheer Buddy Rose put him up on his shoulder, and they do all that stuff. But he had probably a nine-month run as a babyface where it was Kurt Hennig, Billy Jack, and Buddy Rose as a babyface. And that's a great moment. Don't get me wrong. And it looks cool on television. But to be honest, Buddy Rose sucked as a babyface. He was just was not a good – he was so used to – and so good at being that chicken heel that was oh, yeah. not good at getting in there and being that baby face with that baby face fire. It just was not first nature to her. Let me give you an example. There's a story of Buddy in real life where some fans, it was, I think it might have been Rip Oliver or somebody who was in Buddy Rose's army. Some fan started getting into it with him. I think this was like at a, like outside a mini mart or something. So this was like away from the arena in real life. And the fan was, you know, way out of line. Don't get me wrong. this is, But they, in those days, they had to fight the fan. And so they beating up his kid, and Buddy's wife was there. And they had the kid down on the ground, and they're kicking the kid. And Buddy's wife yells at Buddy, Buddy, quit throwing working kicks. Get in there. And that's how Buddy was, tentative that it was just second nature for him, even when he had to teach a adolescent <laughs> that he was throwing kicks that didn't hurt.
2: Oh, wow. I didn't hear that. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Huh. Okay.
0: Jeez. Well, Buddy was weaseling. Well, Mr.
2: Valley, inspired by Roddy Roddy Piper, is it true that you considered taking up bagpipes in junior high school, (laughs) but you took up guitar instead due to the influence of Northwest Band, Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> oh,
0: of course. No, because, you know, I probably wouldn't be talking to you now if it wasn't for Roddy Piper. I mean, when I was a really little kid and, you know, I loved Jimmy Snuka and Jesse Ventura and all the baby faces that came through town, but, I mean, wrestling was just one thing in my life. When Piper came in and became a good guy and, you know, could talk and fought and was so... You know, amazing. You know, that's when wrestling became an obsession. So, you know, Piper set the territory on fire and just, you know, captured the imagination of so many of us as far as his promos and his matches and just the way things progressed. It was just so awesome to be a fan back in 1979 and 1980 when Roddy Piper was here. And then it was fun to follow his career in the wrestling magazine and with the advent of cable television. You know, Roddy lived here and had a home here. Even though, obviously, he wasn't from here, we always considered him our guy. And it was just so much fun, even when he was a bad guy, to see our guy reach such national prominence and be such a trailblaze in professional wrestling and in acting It was just just amazing to watch. And when I lived in Portland for a couple of years in uh, around 2000, uh, 2000, you know, I was friends with Piper for 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 a time. And you know, I'm not going to say we were like best friends or anything, but You know, he would call me at two in the morning with, with ideas and stuff. I always thought was a lot of fun because that meant that he liked me and and trusted me. So that was that was
2: kind of cool. Wow! Not many people that get a call in the morning from uh, 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 Roddy Piper. Gee whiz! He he was he was kind of a guarded person because of his upbringing. Very.
0: Yeah. No, he was. He was very guarded. Um and he was even guarded around me. I mean you know, I never they were, you know, I never saw anything, if you know what I'm saying. Um, you know, I mean he was he was he would talk to me about things use me as a sounding board and things like that. Um and I kind of learned how to talk to him as far as what I wanted to convey without you know, offending him or without, you know, I mean, I always respected who he was and what he accomplished and what he was capable of accomplishing. And, you know, I wasn't a yes man by any means, but I always, you know, through the filter of who he was and what he did, you know, treated him that way. And so I always had that respect for him, as far as his accomplishments, and I think he, he he appreciated that I wasn't a yes man, but at the same time, you know, I was always very respectful and and very I you know I tried to be always appropriate with him. Jeremy, yeah, well, yeah, I'm
1: just about out of time in today's show, but Mr. Valley, I want to give you the opportunity if you have anything you would like to say to the listeners, plug and promote absolutely anything you would like floor is all yours.
0: Sure. Hey, if you guys want to have me back on, I've got a lot more stories I can tell. So you just let me know. It's been, it's been a delight. So we could do this again, anytime you want.
1: Absolutely. We would love to have you on in the future for sure. Hopefully this will be the first of many, many appearances. Um, Anything you want sure. to put out there, like social medias or anything yeah.
0: like that? Sure. Sure, yeah. You can, you can find me on Twitter at Jim Valley, G-I-M-E-A-L-L-E-Y. Also, you know, you can find my T-shirts at prowrestlingtees.com, the uh, King of Recovery T-shirts. They're just nineteen ninety nine. You can search for uh, the uh, Wrestling Observer. Thank you for our online store, and that's where they are. So you just look under podcasts or websites or just search for Wrestling Observer on the Pro Wrestling Tees. And then uh, look into Cauliflower Alley. Think about uh, supporting that and its cause. It's only like $25 a year or like 300 and some for a lifetime membership. And uh, like I said, it's a charity. All the money goes to help wrestlers who are down in the locks. You can get more information at Cauliflower. ValleyClub.org.
1: Well, Jim Valley, it has been our absolute pleasure having you on here today. We definitely appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We would love to have you back anytime. Fans, definitely pick up the t-shirt if you have not already. It's been a very, very popular item. One of the best sellers on ProWrestlingTees.com. Also, check out... The CAC.org. Uh, learn more about the Cauliflower Alley Club. The reunion's coming up in just a few weeks in September, so if you've not thought about it yet, give some thought to attending that this year. We will be back with you next week. Uh, next Friday afternoon we have Jeff Manning out of WCWC here on our own Pacific Northwest. And then a week Until from this result. very day we'll be back with you with the young wrestler out of the Southwest, Jason Dredd. So my plans to be with us. Everybody stay safe. Get out there. Support your local independent pro wrestling, wherever it may be near you. And we'll talk to you soon.